This is Chad Ackerman, the host of the LFI Spotlight podcast. As part of our growth here at Left Field Investors, the LFI Spotlight is moving to its own podcast feed. So if you'd like to continue to hear stories, tips, and receive advice, be sure to subscribe to the LFI Spotlight podcast today. We'll see you in the spotlight. Are you looking for a way to invest at a lower minimum and participate in more deals? Look no further than our weekly deal webinars hosted in collaboration with TribeVest. With every deal we offer, left field investors have the option to join an open tribe, allowing you to invest for as little as $10,000. No need to meet the standard $50,000 minimum. Joining an open tribe is easy. TribeVest handles all of the setup, fund collection and distribution, and even provides K-1s for tax time. All you have to do is sign up. Stay up to date with LFI by subscribing to our emails and gaining Clubhouse access to join our deal webinars and open tribes. Don't miss out. When we compare alternative investments to other types of investments, there's more opportunity for tax savings. I choose that word carefully because I'm talking about tax savings, not tax deferral. When you put money in a 401k or IRA, you're not paying the tax today, but you're going to pay it later. You're just delaying the time when you're going to pay that tax. On the other hand, when I invest in real estate and I get bonus depreciation, when I buy that property, that's a permanent tax savings. That's not something I'm just pushing down the road where I'm going to have to pay it later. Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. Hey, this is Hunter Thompson. You're listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. I'm really pleased today to have Rod Zabriskie with me. He is the president and COO of Money Insights. He is also the co-host of the Money Insights podcast, a great podcast. In it, he discusses with his partners the benefits of alternative investing and business ownership. And the best part is he practices what he preaches. He has a wide variety of investments, including businesses, real estate, and a fund investment. So he is a passive investor just like we are. So really pleased to have you on the podcast. Rod, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Thanks, Jim. Really glad to be here. So the first question I always like to ask is, what's your financial journey? How did you get into alternatives? How did you get into life insurance? We're going to talk a lot about that in this podcast, yeah. I hope. So can you just tell us kind of how you got there and, and, and where you are now? Yeah, I would say my journey began where I think a lot of people's uh, begins uh, with reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I was in college and I read that book and it really gave me uh, just a an amazing perspective of, of what can be done, what what I'm going to say should be done for people who really want to be successful and and have financial security. And uh, so it was at that time I decided that I wanted to be a business owner. And uh, so I got my undergrad, went back and did a, an MBA. And uh, my my first venture in business was not great. It wasn't the timing wasn't great. I was I, I bought a business in 2007. And things were going okay until, you know, things happened in 2008. And right. then, uh, and so that's ultimately how I ended up in a roundabout way getting into insurance. Uh, right around 2009, 2010, I started getting involved with health insurance first. And then uh, that expanded and, and evolved to, to kind of what we're doing today. And we'll get into a little more, a little more into that. But, but I had this vision of owning my own business and, and kind of taking things into my own hands and, and making things happen. That, that's great. And, and I think a lot of people enter it that way. Obviously, the little purple book, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, helps. Yep. How does – now, did, did that just kind of open your eyes about owning a business or did that get you into real estate? Did that help open your eyes about life insurance or, or all of it? Can you kind of talk yeah, about great how that book did that? Yeah. And I will also add the cash flow quadrant uh, on, on top of that. And – Man, I really wanted to do it all. I had goals. I had ambitions of of you know getting into real estate uh, earlier than I did, but I the focus really went toward the business side and being a business owner. And for anyone who's familiar with the cash flow quadrant, um, my starting point, even with my business, wasn't in the best place. I was I was self employed. I was the only employee of my business. Uh, I had to show up every day to make things happen. Um, and but again, things evolve and. And so now, gratefully, we're in a place where uh, in our business, I, I do show up every day at work, but but there are a lot of other great people around me that are making really cool things happen. And and so I'm I'm more of a 
true business owner in the in the definition of of what Robert Kiyosaki says today than I was. And I think that was the thing that opened the door for me to be able to get involved with other things as well. The success that we saw there uh, as as we were, you know, seeing the the revenue increase and uh, then then turning it into and, and investing in the real estate and the funds and other things like that as well. And can you talk about the alternative investments that that you're in or that you that you invest in that you look at? And then I know I, I want to dig into the life insurance, but mm-hmm. how do you initially use your life insurance to fund those investments if you do? Sure. So I'll start with real estate because that is, I think, the thing that is the easiest. I, I feel like it has such a broad base in different ways that you can invest um, and and just the value that it brings uh, for a lot of different reasons that, uh, that that's the starting point. So I'm primarily investing in syndications. Um, and in fact, you know, participated in one with left field investors here a, a few months ago, uh, the kind of motel to, to studio apartment yeah. transition business. And, um, and then in addition to that, uh, people may be familiar with, uh, obviously there are lots of different types of funds. The fund that I uh, invested in recently was an ATM fund. I know there are a few different operators out there that, that you can tap into on that, but um, and that one, it's a little more about cash flow. Pr- prior to that one, we I was not as much concerned about cash flow just yet. Ultimately, the goal is to ha- make enough in your passive income to replace your working income, right? That's the goal. But for for now, where I f- I feel like I'm still probably at least eight to ten years away from uh, retiring, then I'm more focused on appreciation growth, which I can get through the syndications and things like that. Um, but also having having some of that cash flow, and that kind of gets into the second half of your question with with the life insurance. We have a strategy that we use. We call it the, the investment optimizer. And when we meet with a lot of people who are passive uh, investors, they're often just using their regular savings account or maybe like a money market account is what I call the opportunity fund. So they'll build up money inside of that account. They'll take that money, go out and invest it, create cash flow, create returns coming back, build that all back towards that savings account, build it back up and go out and invest in something else, right? Which the reason we choose that is because of the safety and the liquidity that we get there. The problem is, is while the money is there, it's not really doing anything for us, right? Even now with, with interest rates having climbed considerably, most savings accounts are paying one to two percent, right? So it's like it's burning a hole in our pocket. We have to get out, and and it almost adds undue pressure on the investment side. So what we're doing with the investment optimizer is replacing the savings account with a max overfunded dividend paying whole life insurance policy, and kind of long name for it. But but really, what that means is we're just building it where we're minimizing the insurance, maximizing the growth of the cash value, because. What that offers us is the same safety and liquidity as we get from the the savings account, but it also is creating a level of growth. Very predictable, very consistent. Uh, You can expect a a five plus percent net return after all costs over a long period of time. And that growth is tax-free, which means you don't get a 1099 at the end of each year for the interest and and growth that you have in your account. Um, But but again, the point isn't to leave it there and just get that 5%. The point is that you're using that money and still going out and investing in the same things as, as you would have otherwise, uh, just having this kind of, we, I, I talk about it as like an additional layer of profitability in addition to the return that you're getting from your other investments. Yeah. And I have a question about that because, you know, as the community knows, I'm, I have I have these whole life insurance policies and, and I use them to invest. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, two years ago, you were getting as you you're getting zero percent if you save money in the bank, and you're getting yeah. you know maybe the four and a half to five percent on the life insurance, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you you mentioned one to two percent from a bank. If you if you search around long enough, you might be able to find three, four, five percent, sure. right? So yep. just for fun, let's say we can find a bank that'll pay us four and a half percent on the money that we put in the bank. Is it still does it still make sense to do the life insurance, the whole life insurance, where they're paying you effectively? About the same, similar, sure. Right. So, do I need to go lock my money up there because I can't access it all immediately? You know, there's different amounts that I can, but it it's not as free, meaning mm-hmm. easy to get out as it is in the 
the life insurance money isn't as easy to get out as it is in a bank. It's super easy, but not as sure. easy. Can, can you just talk a little bit about why yeah. it's still a benefit? Yeah, I, th- I think it is still a benefit. And for a couple of reasons. Number one is I mentioned the word kind of predictable or consistent. And, and over time, we, we can just, we, we know what to expect, right? It's just kind of very, very predictable. So, you know, at this moment, you know, could, could you match that return? Yes, you could, right? In, in a few different places. Uh, but the other difference is that there, when we use that money, we're not actually taking it out of the insurance policy. When we use it, we actually are taking a loan against it. So in other words, my money stays in the account and continues to grow. The money that I'm taking and, and investing is, is, the loaned money that I got from the insurance company. So quite literally what's happening is I have my money working for me in two places at the same time. Same thing as, you know, the same way that we use leverage in, in our properties, like a HELOC or something, right? I'm tapping into the, the value of my home and I'm paying interest to do it, but I'm going out and creating a much better return somewhere else. And simultaneously, my, my property is appreciating on, on whatever schedule it's on. So a very similar thing is happening. We have this asset in the life insurance. It continues to grow and appreciate in a similar fashion. Um, and I'm accessing, I'm leveraging it to go out and, and create value somewhere else. So even if you're matching, because if I'm, if I'm getting the four and a half percent in the bank, when I'm going to take that money, it, I'm removing it from that account and taking it and investing somewhere else. So again, cause I want to create a much better return. Right. Um, but I'm no longer getting anything, any benefit with, with, you know, having had it in the bank. That, that's wonderfully explained, right? And so, yeah, you're getting the same return, but the same return doesn't mean you are getting the same net return, right? Because what you're missing right. is when you take it out of the bank, as you said, I just want to reiterate this because it's a huge point. When you take it out of the bank, now you're not earning that four and a half percent anymore. You're earning the eight percent cash on cash or whatever you're getting from the investment. But if it's in the life insurance, you're earning that 8% cash on cash from the investment, plus you're still getting that 4.5%. There is a cost, right? You're still going to have to pay for that loan, but it you're still you're you're using $1 and earning and getting a second return. So that that's that's brilliant. I love that. And so we have to look beyond the actual return, right? And mm-hmm. that's can you talk about the value? And again, we're kind of jumping back and forth. The value in, in alternative investing, alternative investing that goes beyond just actual returns. Absolutely, yeah. There are not not to minimize the return, right? Because that's huge. That that's you know obviously it's part of the decision making. But yeah, I think there are probably five additional things that I can think of uh, of value. Number one is when we compare alternative investments to other types of investments, there's more opportunity for tax savings, and I. I choose that word carefully because I'm talking about tax savings, not tax deferral. When you put money in a 401k or IRA, you're not paying the tax today, but you're going to pay it later. You're just delaying the time when you're going to pay that tax. On the other hand, when I invest in real estate and I get bonus depreciation and uh, on that, when I buy that property, that's a tax, that's a permanent tax savings. That's not something I'm just pushing down the road where I'm going to have to pay it later. I'm, I'm actually creating uh, more benefit, more property, more of of a return. It enhances the return because of the tax savings. So that's number one. Number two is I have more control. And you know, in, in for most people investing in a four hundred one k or you know, IRA, uh, they're given a, a a variety of different investments they can choose from. But someone else chose those investments. You, you just get to pick which one you want. In this case, with with alternative investing. There are so many different ways that you can invest things that you can invest in. And, and so you have more control, especially if you are a business owner or you're participating in, like, for example, uh, we work with a lot of medical professionals, a surgeon who owns the surgical center that they work in, right? Um, so control. And then number three is I would say a better, we call it a risk-adjusted return. So in traditional investing, the the saying is that if you want to get a higher return, you have to take on higher risk, right? When when it comes to alternative investing, uh, that's not always the case. I can create higher returns with alternative investments, and I don't necessarily have to take on more risk to do it. And and I'm not saying that that, that saying isn't true, you know, across the board. If I want to create, you know, 100%, 1,000% types of returns, I am going to take on a lot of risk. But if, I want, if I'm okay with a 20 to 30% return, I don't necessarily have to take more risk to create that than I would, you know, putting it in the stocks, right? 
So that's that's the third one. Number four, uh, we can use leverage inside of the alternative investing world, and especially with real estate, that's the easy one. Um, but but we see you know using leverage in a lot of different ways, and that amplifies the return that you get. And then the fifth one is is just the, the whole thing about passive streams of income, right? Um, in the traditional world, you know you have dividends or you have you know maybe a REIT or something that that can create some passive income, so to speak. But in the alternative world, it's just a completely different mindset that you go go for, and and you still want to diversify. You know, some of those principles carry over for sure, um, but but passive income, I think, is a huge piece. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And you mentioned risk adjusted returns, and you know, gave the example of a higher return with with maybe equal or lower risk. Can you give an example? Of that, sure. like what kind of asset you're you're thinking about for that? Because we hear a lot about risk adjusted returns, but you know those are those are a lot of big words, and I like to just get down yeah. to like what are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah. So let me go back to this uh, ATM fund that I mentioned, uh, and just real quickly, I, I don't sell the fund. I'm not like trying to promote it at all, but but just right. to, to kind of break down the way it works, um, you, you invest in, in the the kind of tranche is like $104,000. You put that into the uh, into the business, they go out and buy some ATMs and, and place them. That they're going and finding the, the locations, uh, but then that creates a level of income coming back. And the projection is it's roughly two thousand dollars a month of income um, after maybe four or five months of getting everything set up. And that income then comes in for the next seven years. So if you just look at it really quickly, the math is that I I get my return of capital within four years. And then the next three years is is just all the, the gravy, the extra. So um, now, is that is there risk to this? Of course there is, right? And and we could you know we could enumerate a few different things, um, but I would argue that if if you compare that up against investing in any individual stock or a mutual fund or uh, you know like a dividend paying stock where where it's you're, you're trying to create some sort of cash flow coming back that there's no more risk with the ATM deal than there is on the other. But when you go back and you calculate the returns, just based on the pure cash flow, it's a, I think it's like a 16.8% return. But then when you, you, you can also get bonus depreciation on it. And that turns the 16 into 30. And then if you are using the investment optimizer, in conjunction with that, and you have that cash flow coming back that you can then roll back into new investments and not including the new investments, but just including the ATM fund plus what you're earning in the policy, that turns it into about a 37% return. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And that, one of my strategies that I use with my life insurance is the ATM strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Because as you said, four years, you're, you're de-risked, paid back, and then the next three years are gravy. But if you started with that 104000 that you took out of your life insurance, right? Mm -hmm. Now, after four years, your life, in, four years plus, your life insurance loan and interest is completely paid back. So yeah. you're in the exact same position you were before you did it. And now for the next two and a half years, you're going to be collecting about twenty four grand a year, right? So yep. you've created effectively $60,000, out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And that is the power of life insurance to, to me. Like it, we yeah. just create, I just created 75 grand for nothing, mm -hmm. right? And there's no, you know, 30% returns great, but that return to me is, is the infinite returns that everyone's always searching for. Is that, is that yeah. kind of how you look at it? Absolutely. And, and one thing that's often brought up is, well, what about Rod? I'm, I'm, I'm taking that loan, but I'm having to pay interest on it, right? How does that all factor in? And one of the big things that happens with this is the interest that you're paying on the loan so I, you know, I took the $104,000 loan. I went out and invested in the ATM fund. Five months later, I start getting this cash flow coming in at $2,000 a month. And so I'm just flowing that back to pay down the loan. As I'm doing that, yes, I'm paying interest on it. But if you think about it, I'm paying simple in interest on a decreasing value. So by the end of the four years, like you mentioned, that loan is, is paid off. And, uh, but, but, uh, Simultaneously, the $104,000 that's sitting in my account that's collateralizing that loan is growing on a compounding basis. So when you say, let's say it's you know 5% paid and 5% earned, it's the same rate. You would say, well, that's a wash loan, right? Well, technically speaking, and, and if you know in that first year, yes. But over time, because, because I pay a lot less dollars and cents in interest 
on the loan versus the interest that's compounding inside of my account. By the time I've paid off that loan and then I turn around and do it again, over time, I just pay a lot less in interest than what I'm growing in the account, not even including what I've created in value outside of, you know, with, with the actual investment. Right. Yeah, that, that's well said. And I think the ATMs really illustrate the benefit of life insurance almost better than any other investment. There's plenty of other investments you can do with your life insurance. You know, the, the sky's the limit. Anything's yeah. available. But ATMs really, um, really show that how it actually works, I think. So I want to get into, you know, life insurance. How does it fit into the planning and the investments for alternative investors, specifically passive investors in real estate syndication? Now, we talked mm -hmm. about one use case where you can take it and invest, but how does it fit into the overall picture of I'm planning um, for retirement or I'm planning for a kid's college, I'm planning for yeah. all, this finan all these financial things, but I'm also an investor. So how does life insurance fit into all that? Yeah, it's a great question. And really... We just think of it as an additional uh, asset class within the alternative space, right? Um, and, and it's because of the the particular benefits that it brings to us. So I already mentioned that it it uh, grows like there are tax benefits to us. Specifically, what happens is I'm putting my money in after tax. It grows tax deferred, which again just means I'm not getting a 1099 at the end of the year. When I use that money, whether it's for my investing or later for retirement or like you said, paying for the kids' college or whatever. I'm able to take that money out tax-free. And then ultimately when I die and this death benefit pays out, it also pays out income tax-free. So it's basically the equivalent of a Roth, but I have a lot more access to it. I'm not in, you know, playing by the rules of the IRS and all those things that, that comes with the Roth. So taking that as it is, then we can plug it in in a few different ways. So we've already talked about the investment optimizer, adding another addition, additional layer of, of profitability. We also have another strategy we call the capital avalanche where we're building a life insurance policy as the primary asset, but we're actually doing it primarily through loans from the bank. So there's money I'm putting in, right, as a starting point, but then loaning money from the bank to continue putting, get, building the, the account. And you might say, well, why would I do that? And the answer is when I fast forward to this point where I'm going to use it as a, a source of tax-free income in retirement or, or like, you know, for the kids' college or whatever it may be is this kind of future goal that I have, I'm just going to be able to take a lot more out of it than I could would have if I it was just only my dollars going in there. Same, again, leverage, right? Same reason right. why we use it with, with, with real estate. In real estate, I can turn a you know 15% return into a 40% return by using leverage. So a similar thing here, we're turning a roughly 5% return into a 12, 13, 14% return that's tax-free. Uh, but by using the leverage. So I can just get a lot more out the back end by doing that. As a busy physician, I know exactly what it's like to work long hours, make sacrifices, and put your patients first. I wanted to create more freedom for my family, but I didn't know where to turn. So in 2012, I discovered the power of multifamily real estate investments. This allowed me to create passive income and freedom and wealth for my family. In 2015, I co-founded multifamily syndication investment firm, Viking Capital. My name is Vikram Raya. I'm CEO and co-founder of Viking Capital. And we believe that multifamily investing presents a significant opportunity for investors to build sustainable wealth and achieve financial freedom through diversification. Learn more about all our current deal offerings at vikingmultifamily.com. Self-storage has been one of the fastest growing real estate sectors for four decades straight. With inflation on the rise, it may be the hedge you're looking for. Spartan Investment Group identifies low-risk, value-add investment opportunities in commercial real estate. Their private debt and equity opportunities offer stable monthly payments and predictable returns. And... Since they put every investment through a 700-plus point due diligence checklist, you can invest with confidence. To learn more, visit spartan-investors.com. Can you talk about like, the risks, right? Because when you add leverage, yep. by definition, you're adding risk, right? And a lot of these, um, you know, the, you, I love the name, the, the avalanche, right? Um, but th there's other terms for it, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of these um, type policies use what's called an index universal life policy rather than mm -hmm. whole life. So right. two parts to this question. Can you talk about the difference between those two, whole life and, and IUL mm -hmm. is, is what they mm -hmm. call it, and also what – you know, how do you quantify and how do you deal with the extra risk in the avalanche strategy? Yeah, it's a great question. <clears throat> so first of all, 
uh, in whole life, I, I talked about that we can get a predictable, you know, four and a half to five percent return. The way it's doing that is there's a guaranteed interest rate associated with the policy. And then we're working with companies that pay a dividend to policyholders as well. So uh, on the whole, depending on the specific company, they might be paying out somewhere between five and six percent right now when you combine the guaranteed interest plus the dividend. And then when you take out costs, that, that that's when we get to the net return of that four and a half to five percent. So pretty, pretty simple, pretty straightforward, and, and that's you know pretty consistent. That, that's why we use it for the investment optimizer. With uh, Index Universal Life, what's happening is it's still building the cash value in a very similar way. It still has the same tax benefits we talked about. So from that standpoint, it's the same. But the way that the cash value grows is different. What it's doing is it's tying itself to a market index. Let's just say the S&P 500. So that when the S&P goes up, we participate in a portion of those gains. We're not actually invested in the S&P, just to be really clear. It's just using that index as the, mar- the measuring stick to determine how much interest we earn each year. So we participate in a portion of the gains. Any year where the S&P loses value, we don't participate in those losses. We just don't earn any interest in that year. So it's, it's less predictable, a little more volatile than, than whole life on a year-to-year basis. Uh, but over time, when you spread that out over a long period of time, uh, then it becomes pretty predictable in in what we can expect. And and especially because we're using the leverage, this isn't a situation where I start this capital avalanche strategy and I'm, I'm planning to start taking income in two or three years. It's going to be more like 10 to 15 years later before I'm planning to start taking the income. So we, we're giving it time. That's all part of the plan is to give it time to to have more opportunity for that growth and and average out you know that that consistent return now when when we're adding the leverage as you said uh that does add an additional layer of risk so and we actually in, in the capital average we use a combination of iul and whole life and the reason we do that is because on on the iul side we have more upside potential than we have with the whole life right but it also comes with more risk higher higher opportunity for gain it equals higher risk, you know, against having less gain. And, and so, uh, we include the, the whole life there to, to create a kind of a hedge. So when, you know, market is struggling or whatever, and, and we're not seeing the, the gains on the IUL side, we know we're at least getting gains on, on the whole life side. So because we're, uh, there, there's this interest out here on the loan that we're having to, to account for as well. And how does a, you know, someone who's interested in these strategies, how would someone decide, well, I'm more of a, an optimizer or I'm more of an avalanche guy? Yeah, right? that's a great question. And the answer is, it depends on what you want those dollars to do. If, if those are dollars that you are planning to, to be uh, using for your investing, for the passive income investing, real estate and, and funds and businesses and all these things we've been talking about, then you want it in the investment optimizer because you want it accessible and, and being used inside of those investments. On the other hand, if you want, uh, if you want to, in most cases, what, what we see is there are people who are investing in those things, but then they want to carve off uh, some of that cash to go and invest in, in, in a different way, again, creating a level of diversity. And so uh, if you carve off, let's say you, you, know, you, you have a, a liquidity event on a piece of property, you have 500 grand or something, you say, well, I'm going to take 100 or 200 of that and and move that over into something like this capital avalanche where it's it's not completely hands-off. There's there's some access to it, but but it's more like an emergency fund. If I access it, I need to replenish it as quickly as possible. So for all intents and purposes, it's in that capital avalanche strategy doing its work. And I'm not using those dollars for the other real estate and business and other things because I I I'm want to take advantage of the leverage and the other the other things that that the strategy offers. So um, that, that I think that's a, a fair way to think of it in, 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 when you think of the two different strategies. Okay, and, and zooming back a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a passive investor. I'm, you know, well, personally, I'm a full-time passive investor, mm-hmm. but everybody in our community is passively investing. And you know, we, we know how to vet an operator mm-hmm. and we know how to find an operator. We use our community. So how do I find someone who can provide these you know, life insurance policies to me or these strategies to me? How do I vet them? And how do I make sure that they're, you know, 
because I know that you have to find a quality insurance agent that will tailor the product to your needs rather than mm-hmm. to the commissions that the agent gets, right? I, right. I tell this story. The first um, insurance policy I ever sold was to myself, and, and I did it wrong, right? I, I maximized commissions, and, and it didn't optimize yeah. for what I was actually needing to do because I didn't know what I was doing. I was taught mm-hmm. by people who were, you know, just doing the standard thing. And, and you know, if you're going to – if you're in this alternative – part of the world, you're not, you don't want a standard policy. So I yeah. just asked a really long question with about six sub questions, but talk about how we find an insurance agent and, you know, how do we vet them and, yeah. and what, what should we avoid and what do we need? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and I think that the beginning to the answer is that what we're doing is a very different approach than the, the typical life insurance agent, you know, down the street. Um, number one, in, in the beginning, if you go into that office, they're going to expect that you want insurance for the sake of insurance, right? So whereas in this case, the way our conversation starts is I have this money I want to invest. I want to put it in the investment optimizer first so I can create that additional layer of profitability. So then we're building a policy optimizing the growth of the cash value for those dollars. And if it's an agent who does, isn't using that language or doesn't understand, you know, even if you brought it to them, most agents wouldn't know what to do with it. So, uh, so yeah, you, you do want to work with people because it's, it's about knowing how to build the policy correctly. It's also about working with people who, who have access to all of the different companies. So I mentioned earlier, we're, we're picky on the whole life side about only using mutual companies because they pay a dividend. Well, there are about 10 or 12 mutual companies that are worth using uh, because of their track record, A, a rated, all those things. And uh, but but how do we how do you know which one to use? Well, we are continually comparing all the products against each other so that we know which product is giving us the best conversion of your dollars into that cash value that you're going out and using for your investing. So um, you know you wouldn't want to work with someone who's who's tied to a single company for that reason. And and then you know in in the end you know it, it, it's about experience. So you want to work with someone who that's what they do right. And so like at Money Insights, that's what we do day in and day out. Um, our, our team, you know, is working with people across the country to set up these policies for these specific strategies. And and that's what we do. If someone needs term, great. Yeah, I, I can get you a term policy. But that's not where this, the conversation is starting. And, you know, you use mutual insurance companies. Why mutual insurance companies rather than than the public insurance companies? And I know a lot of the mutual companies have been around for a long time, mm-hmm. but should I, as as the person you know looking for a policy, do I rely on you then to make sure that you're matching me with an insurance company that will remain solvent and has good financials and all of that? How does all that work? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and the first answer is why a mutual? Because they pay dividends on whole life policies. So we're really picky on the whole life side, not, not necessarily on the IUL side because the dividends aren't a part of it. So, so we're not tied to just the mutual companies, but absolutely on the whole life side, you want to work with a mutual company. Uh, but, but there's more to it than that, right? You want a mutual company that's been around a long time, has, has consistently paid a dividend and they're, you know, A rated with these independent rating agencies. So that, that's how we pick the companies that we're willing to work with before we start comparing the products. And so the loan rates, right? When I think of when I first got my policies, it was five and a half or 6%, right? Because mm-hmm. we're talking about taking a loan against the cash value you have in the policy to be able to do these investments. Yeah. Have loan rates changed with the increase in interest rates? And, and has that changed this the optimizer and those kind of strategies because the interest rates where you're taking money out of the policy are not, it's now higher. So, and you, so then you have to earn a higher rate of return on whatever investment you're yeah. making to make it make sense. So how, how has that all changed with the, yeah. the fast rise in interest rates? Yep, great question. And there are kind of two layers to this because the first thing is that uh, there are two different ways we can get those loans. The, the default and the way I described it to, uh, at the beginning of this was getting a loan from the insurance company. And that's always available. It's contractually guaranteed. We can get a loan from the insurance company. But we can also go to a bank and get what's called the cash value line of credit. Same thing, right? Your cash value is over here growing and you're taking a loan this time from the bank with, with the cash value as collateral. And so a, a year plus ago, people were using those loans from the bank and paying three, three and a half percent on those loans while earning the, the five to six percent inside the policy. 
well, if you're still with the bank now, you'd be paying 8%. So people are no, no longer doing that. Now they're moving back to the insurance company where they're paying right around, you know, five and a half to 6%. So getting a better rate that's more lined in with the, the kind of return that they're getting in the policies. And then, of course, it's also helpful to remember, again, what I mentioned earlier about this paying simple interest while earning compounding interest. Because even if there are times where you pay a little more interest on that loan than what you're earning in, in the policy, that's okay because in pure dollars and cents, you're still in, ending up paying less in interest than what you're earning. And the back to interest rates again, how has mm-hmm. that affected the dividend payout rates, right? Because the dividends are based on how well the company does, right? If you're a mutual company you're and you, you get your policy from them, you're an owner of that company, so mm-hmm. they send back their earnings to you. So one, how has interest rates affected the amount that those companies are paying? And I know these yeah. companies have paid dividends for a long time, but I've also heard of some companies who are paying, you know, all of their retained earnings or even more than their net income for the year in dividends because they want to maintain that dividend rate. So how do you analyze all of that? Yeah, it's a great question. And the first thing is, uh, again, we, we don't rely solely on them, but, but as a good starting point, these independent rating agencies is a, a really good place to start because they are going in and looking at the books. Like they know exactly what's, what's happening behind the scenes. So a lot of the, the talk that I hear uh, about an example like what you just said, is usually from one insurance company pointing the finger at another and saying, well, they're doing this and, and whatever, right? And and I'm, I'm not saying that there's never any truth to it. Um, but again, going back to those rating agencies, they're looking at it and they know. And so if there was a concern with that, then it would likely show up there. They would bring it up and say, hey, we're... Because what they'll do is they'll give them a rating, but then they'll also give them uh, like whether it's stable or, or uh, less optimistic or whatever, um, and so it, it would, it would kind of show, shows up there. But when you actually do like these, even though they are quote unquote privately held, uh, because it is the, the policy holders, um, they'll, they'll, uh, give you access to the book. So you can actually go into to these insurance companies and look at their financial statements and see where they're investing, see what the income is, see, you know, what's happening so that you could, if, if you had that kind of a concern, you could actually, you know, either confirm that or or see a, a larger picture that you know some of the details that maybe weren't divulged from the from the competitor okay and then um i always ask too many questions at once so the one that we didn't address is the uh, dividend payout rates have, yeah, have okay. interest rates affected that uh, it's a good question and at this point not really so what's interesting is the insurance companies are primarily investing in a lot of long-term investments so when we talk, when we look specifically what's happening right now, it's a little bit interesting. I almost said unique, but maybe not, not unique, but bond rates are inverted. The shorter term bond rates, you get a higher return than you do on the longer term bond rates. And that's not usually the case, right? Why would I put, why would I buy a 30 year bond if it pays half what I can get on a, on a two or a five year bond? But that's what's happening right now. So. Now, does that mean the insurance companies are getting better returns and, and we will likely see an increase in the dividends? Absolutely. Uh, and because there's always a lag, right? The, the insurance companies uh, go out and buy the, the higher bonds, but it takes time for them to actually see the higher returns coming in, which then creates a lag. So from the time, like if, if we were to say, well, last summer is when interest rates started going up. Uh, and they went up pretty fast. So by the end of last year, you would think, well, the, the kind of the writing was on the wall that maybe we should have seen higher dividend. But almost all companies stayed stayed level. There was one company that increased increased their dividend, I think, by like ten basis points or something. Um, but they all stayed stayed even. This coming year, what what do I think will happen? Um, I would think that probably some of the companies will increase and some of them will, will maybe still stay level because again, just, just that time lag, but certainly by the end of, by next year. So by 2025, then we should start seeing that, that impact where, where the dividend rates will go up. Now, when we talk about them going up, this is one of the things I mentioned earlier about the whole consistency. Uh, I mentioned, you know, they're currently paying somewhere between five and 6%. When they start increasing, it'll be in the range of maybe like, 
I mentioned the 10 basis points for the example earlier, 25 basis points would be a, a typical type of change. Um, and so it's not like we're talking about huge swings. In fact, if you go back to the 1980s, uh, where historically the, the rates were at their highest, you could go out and get uh, a CD for whatever, 15% or something when the dividends on the policies were still paying you know, eight or nine, right? So it doesn't get as high as the highest rates uh, as, they, as they come through, but, but those really high rates don't last very long anyway, right? right? But the flip side is true. While interest rates were really low for 13 years or whatever, they were basically zero to, to 2%, the, these, you know, these insurance companies were still paying consistently. Uh, prior to that, they were more in the 6 to 7% range. And then over time, as, as the interest rates were really low, then the dividends came down to where now they're at that 5 to 6% range. But, but again, not a huge swing when you think about right. how big of a difference it was between you know, paying six and a half percent mortgage rates in 2007 versus, you know, three percent that I'm paying on my loan now. So, right. And if you do it right, it, it you, you don't pay tax on it, right? It's tax, tax free. That's exactly um, right. Instrument. So that, that's even better. So, yeah. Like we've learned a lot about life insurance. And now for anyone listening to the podcast who hasn't, you know, learned about life insurance before, whole life insurance specifically, they're going to go Google it. And when yeah. they Google it, they're going to they're going to find out that 100% for sure it's a scam and it's just designed to put money into the agent's pockets at exorbitant rates, right? To right. just take money from you. So yep. obviously I don't think that's true, but that's what you might find. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tell me why 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 is that not true and why do people ha- why is it such a, you know, like it's the third rail. You talk about whole life insurance and people either love it or they hate it and are convinced it's terrible. So yeah. tell me it's not terrible. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, and, and I'll just bring out like, like a person like Dave Ramsey speaks, uh, openly about, you know, against whole life. And, and part of it is the perspective of where they're coming from. So on his, in his case, he's saying you have to put all your money in the stock market, which I think already we, we don't agree with that uh, as a starting right. point. But then the, w- what kind of life insurance, whole life insurance is he looking at when he says it's horrible stuff? And it's the kind of stuff you would get if you went down the street and told your, you know, local agent, you know, just, just give me a, a whole life policy that doesn't build a lot of cash value. So think about this. Uh, let's just say, you know, uh, someone wants to put a hundred thousand dollars a year towards their investing. And so instead we're going to build the investment optimizer. Well, in year one, they would end up with maybe about 75% of that in the cash value in year two, about 88% of that by year three, the costs are a lot lower. And so. So they'll, they'll basically matching what they put in to, to what their increase in cash value is. On the flip side, on a, on a, I'll call it traditional whole life policy, you put a hundred grand in year one, guess what you have in your cash value? Nothing. Yeah. Put another hundred grand in in year two and you, with some companies, you'd still have nothing. With some, you might have, you know, 10 grand or something. Uh, and then it starts to grow from there. So in the long run, after 20 or 30 years, you might end up with a, a net return of maybe two to 3% that's tax free. So it's not nothing, um, but it's not at all in the ballpark of what we're talking about in terms of this, you know, 5% tax free. But again, not because I'm looking at the policy and saying, hey, I want a 5% return, therefore I'm doing this. But all of the other benefits I talked about that come with it, access to the cash, the tax free part of it, all those things um, make it attractive to use specifically in the way that we're talking about. Yeah, that, that, that's well said. It, it's always hard because, you know, you got to make sure you're going to the right source for information, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why people have joined a community like Left Field Investors or a community like Money Insights, because that's where you're going to get the information that fits you. You can't just go to Dave Ramsey and say, hey, what should I do? He doesn't even know you, right? And he's just yeah. making recommendations for John Q. Public. And if you're in yeah. the little niches that we're in, we are not. John Q. Public. So well said. Right. Um, last question I always ask is, what's a great podcast that you listen to? You cannot say Money Insights because I'm already putting that in the show <laughs> notes. It is a good podcast, but what's another one that you like to listen to? Uh, I, I was introduced to one, a really cool one recently called Founders. And this guy does just like amazing levels of research on uh, historical figures, on on current people who who have done something really cool. And the one that comes to mind is, is when I listened to uh, where he was talking about uh, Walt Disney and his, his journey to, to create the empire that he did, the, the dramatic odds that he overcame and, and just was so focused uh, 
and and visionary to to create what he did and and it shows right like it, it's Disney is just such a huge iconic name right now but 100 years ago when he was when he was creating this and building it it was completely unknown and and uh, an underdog to do what he did so that's yeah that's cool and I don't want to bring it back to life insurance but I've heard that Walt Disney funded his company or the beginnings with his life insurance policy. Yep. So Loans full circle. His policy. Yep. Yeah, I love it. I yep. love it. So if um if people are interested in getting in touch with you and learning more about money insights and 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 meeting your team, uh, what's the best way they can uh, they can get in touch with you? Yeah, so I would say go to moneyinsightsgroup.com slash LFI. So for left field investors. So we've created a specific landing page for uh, listeners of your show and the group. And one of the reasons we did that is because in addition to just being able to find, you know, some information about the things we've been talking about, we also wanted to, to offer a bonus. And so here a few months ago, we did a, a virtual summit and we had some great guests, you know, Tom Wilwright, Ken McElroy, uh, Buck Joffrey, um, but we also had Sharon Lecter. And so we're, we're making that Sharon Lecter's uh, speech that she gave during our virtual summit available for anybody who goes to, again, money insightsgroup.com slash LFI. And then right at the top, you'll see a link there that you can get access to her speech. And then again, we, we have a video that we did recently on, on a lunch and learn. So you can learn a little bit more. Uh, you can learn about the team. You can, you can schedule a meeting there. Uh, but that's, that's probably the best starting point for you. Excellent. And if you really want to meet the Money Insights team, you can come to Columbus in October yep. for our meetup. Uh, this should release in mid-September, so you still have time to sign up, maybe, unless it's uh, sold out. But we're really pleased you're going to join us there. So, Rod, yep. thank you for being on the podcast. This was a pleasure, and I learned a lot. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. This is Zach Hapsensall, CEO and co-founder of Rise48 Equity. At Rise48, we've completed over $1.7 billion in total transactions, including 11 successful full-cycle dispositions. If you're looking to invest with an experienced sponsor in either the Phoenix, Arizona, or Dallas, Texas markets, then set up a call with us today at rise48equity.com backslash invest. That's R-I-S-E 48 equity.com backslash invest. Aspen Funds has been a consistent supporter of left field investors. You may have seen Bob Frazier on an LFI webinar or at our October meetup in the left field speaking on investable megatrends for the next decade. Whether you're an accredited investor interested in mortgage note funds with a 10-year track record or other macro-driven alternative investments such as industrial, oil and gas, multifamily or retail, the Aspen Funds team is keeping track of the economic trends and co-invests on every deal right alongside you. Meanwhile, you get to do what you love and make every moment count. Download their free economic report today at aspenfunds.us slash LFI. Might be a little bit of a, a nerd, but I do enjoy talking about life insurance and alternative investing strategies. So the conversation with Rod was fascinating to me. I really, I really enjoyed it. You know, a few things that I pulled out of there, you know, it is really important to match your goals to your investments or vice versa, actually, is pick your investments related to your goals. And that includes, you know, life insurance isn't an investment. It's really something that enhances or turbocharges your other investments. So you need to make sure that you're picking the right product for what you're trying to do. And that's why when I told that story about you know, when I sold myself my first life insurance policy, I didn't do that. I sold myself the wrong one. And um, it was kind of straight out of the box. And, and us as, as passive investors, we don't want the life insurance policy out of the box. We want the special one that is crafted just specially for us. And so that's what you should be looking for. Whole life insurance, why I like it. I mean, there's a ton of reasons, but one, as Rod was talking about, the money stays in the policy. You take a loan and that, that cash value is collateral. So you have the ability to earn two returns with the same dollar. And you heard him talk about how important that is and how it actually works, where if you just put that money in a bank account and then go invest with it, as soon as you remove it from the bank account, even if you can find a bank paying you 5%, you're not earning that 5% anymore. If you keep, if you do the insurance policy, you still earn that four and a half, five percent So that's uh, really powerful. And then he talked about the difference between tax savings, which is something you get with depreciation or the whole life policies. Those are tax savings vehicles where tax deferral is different. That's a 401k or IRA. With tax savings, that's savings, money in your pocket. You will never have to pay tax on that. Tax deferral is, well, you know, a dollar now is better than a dollar later. So good for you. You don't have to pay taxes now, 
but you're in partnership with the government. They're going to say, thank you very much. Could you please grow that investment for me over the next 10, 20, 30 years? And I'll, I'll take your taxes later when it's a lot more money, right? That's tax deferral. So why do you think the government puts those kind of 401k and, and IRAs? Why do they have those? Because they want you to grow a bunch of money in partnership with them, and then you'll pay more taxes later. So it's not bad tax deferral. I would just prefer savings than deferring. Optimizer, you talked about the uh, investment optimizer and the capital avalanche. And basically the, the optimizer is infinite banking, whole life insurance, that kind of stuff. And that is really what is best for passive investors because as he said, you can start using that cash right away and you don't have to wait 10 or 15 years. So there is a place for the capital avalanche, maybe if, if, if that's what you're looking for. But um, for what we're doing here at Left Field Investors, the optimizer seems like the, the best place to go. And the most important thing to get out of this entire episode or anytime you're looking into things like this is finding the right person to do it for you and with you. And if you just go to your standard life insurance agent, they will not know how to put together this policy for you that works for how you're doing it. I know that because I was that agent and I set my own policy up incorrectly. And once I learned how to do it, then I decided, um, you know, I'm, I'm better off uh, as a passive investor than an insurance agent. So now I have other people to do it for me. But the best way to find an agent is through a referral. It's the same as if you're trying to find a, a lawyer or a tax CPA or an operator for a passive investment, right? You do that through referrals to your community or elsewhere. And that's the most important thing is to find an agent that's gonna put your interests first and try to understand you and not just sell you an out of the box, easy investment to collect a commission, but they're gonna sell you something that actually works for you and allows you to continue to grow your investment portfolio. So that's kind of how I look at that. Find quality people and you'll get quality results. That's all we have for this time. We'll see you next time in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in the left field with us today. If you are interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestor.com and click the subscribe button to join our community. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to the show on your podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you really enjoyed the show, a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts would be appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.